great independent podcast powered by Pacific Crest Insurance, where independent insurance agents and industry leaders talk about the highs and lows of starting and running a successful agency. Learn the common trends and struggles of independent insurance agents. Go to PacificCrestInsurance.com for more on how to be a successful independent insurance agent. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Great Independent Podcast, powered by Pacific Crest Insurance. We have our very own today, Marcus Flusher, and we've got a great topic. We're going to talk about book ownership, um, why you should own your book, the different types of ways to own it. And we're just going to dive into this topic, let Marcus kind of shed some light. So, Marcus, uh, without further ado, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. So, what are the different, well, I guess, what is the most important reason you should own your book? Well, yeah, Justin, thanks. Uh, uh, this is a pretty hot topic we, we talk to agents about on a regular basis. And, um, you know, we were talking about topics that we wanted to cover. This one is certainly at the top of the list, and, and I think it deserves a pretty in-depth conversation so that our listeners can understand maybe what to look for when they're researching an option for an alliance or a cluster that they're going to join um, and uh, maybe focus on the important part of, of book ownership. So the reason why it's so important to own your book is simply boiled down to the control. If you don't own your book, then you technically don't really have any control over the circumstances. So when you join an aggregator or an alliance, um, a lot of times you're giving up some of those freedoms. And book ownership is one way that you can guarantee that you're in control of the circumstances and you can walk away at any time so that the, the dynamic of the relationship you have is set to where you are the customer instead of an employee type of a relationship where the the company that has control over the book ownership is more or less calling all the shots. That's why it's so important. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, so what would it look like? I mean, I, I assume there's different scenarios out there in the marketplace. Um, Maybe can you give us an overview of what those different options are, pros and cons to either? Yeah, I, I think that maybe maybe uh, it would be a good place to start just to, just to maybe kind of dig into what the common misconception is or perception is, is, is that uh, – Let's say, for instance, if I was to ask you, Justin, if you were a if you were a captive agent, and I asked you if you owned your book, what would you say? I, I guess I would say, uh, you know, for the most part. But uh, I guess for me, just to walk away, it depends how you define it. But for me to walk away, uh, there'd be some sort of purchase that I'd have to make. So I guess, really, I didn't own it, or I, I could right. own it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a matter of semantics sometimes. It's kind of however you choose to, you know, um, look at it or whatever you choose to call it. Um, you're, 
even the way that you answered that question causes me to believe that you probably don't look at book ownership maybe the same way I do. And so my job here as the development director, when I'm talking to candidates who are interested in coming to Pacific Crest, is to help educate them as to how we look at book ownership and why we find it so important that they should own the book in the manner that we give them ownership. So my, my point to that is, is that let's just pretend that you're a farmer's insurance agent. I use them as an example because farmers insurance agents, when they walk away from their agency in most cases, are either going to do one of two or three things. They're either going to sell their book back to farmers insurance and get what they call contract value, or they're going to sell that book to another farmers insurance agent who will um, more or less just take over their orphan clients and they'll sell it at whatever you know, rate that they can possibly negotiate. Maybe they get better than what contract value is. So my point to that is, is that that agent doesn't really have the freedom to take those policies and walk away from farmers. They can't just walk out the door with them. They can't just go start up another agency and say, well, I want to now become a state farm agent. So I'm just going to take my policies and go. Well, Sometimes a lot of agents misunderstand what it means to be independent, that they believe that that part of it comes with book ownership as well when they join an alliance, that that word independence um, somehow translates into the ownership of those policies. And it just quite frankly doesn't most of the time. Um, They come into the agency coming from a captive world where they believe that they had kind of like ownership or what I would consider to be equitable ownership of the book. And they walk into the independent relationship with an aggregator where they have something similar. But if the relationship doesn't work out and they choose to leave, what they tend to find out is they can't leave with those policies. And if they did want to leave with them, there's usually a very strict buyout. So if I was to just melt that contract down that they're on, and summarize it and get down to the meat and potatoes, their contract probably had language in it that said that the company that they belong to or that they joined, the aggregator, the cluster group, had what they um, had language in the agreement that was wrapped around terms like first right of refusal. That's typically kind of a um, Uh, language that a company will put into a contract that gives them a fallback position in case an agent wants to leave with a book and they want to keep those policies in-house, they don't want to let the agent leave with them, that when the agent comes to try and buy the book back from the company, then they trump their, their, their need or desire to buy that book with a first right of refusal and they buy the book from the agent. So now the agent is forced to make a decision. Do I want to sell my book back to the company for less than what um, I could probably get for it on the open market? Or do I, or do I uh, just stick it out? Even though I don't like being here, do I just stick it out because I know I'm not going to get what I really want or deserve out of my book? And so that can be very sketchy sometimes. You're thinking about those contracts out there, and I've seen a lot of them. They have language in there that says that the agent owns the book, but it doesn't say they own it. It says that they own equitable interest in the book. 
They own an equitable stake in it. So the, the true definition of ownership, in our opinion, is that if you legally own the book, then you are in control because if you're the sole owner of it, you're the legal owner of it, then the company cannot borrow money against and use that book as leverage to borrow money against your book. And that's what exactly happened a long time ago with another aggregator that was pretty big. Um, they were leveraging the books to supply loans through their uh, financial side of the business. And they couldn't make good on all their debts and they ended up folding up their doors. And when they did, all those agents lost their books. And uh, that company had told all those agents in the past that they owned them. Well, come to find out they didn't. And uh, to make a long story short, those books ended up going to the bankruptcy court and then they liquidated those books for pennies on the dollar to other aggregators. And uh, those other aggregators called those agents up and said, you at one point in time had this agency and all these policies. Now I own it. Um, it was owned by this other aggregator and uh, I'm willing to make you an offer to service these policies but at a lesser split than what you once did have an arrangement with the, the prior company that folded up their doors. And so those agents took the deal because they had no other choice. That was their income. Um, and then they were kind of forced to take the deal now and hopefully try to find a better solution in the future. And those, those agents were calling folks like us saying, what can you do to help us out? And there was nothing that could be done. And so I fear for agents that get into contracts where they don't technically own it legally. Um, so if, if you look at it in the Pacific Crest contract, we allow those agents to have true ownership of those policies, true legal ownership. We cannot leverage those policies to borrow money. So if they wanted to leave, there's nothing we could do to prevent that from happening. If they wanted to leave this alliance, we could not trump them with the first right of refusal language in our agreement because we don't own the book to begin with. I know that I kind of rambled on there for a few minutes. It's kind of a long explanation, but I hope that made sense. No, it absolutely does. I mean, when you think about it, why would you go through the blood, sweat and tears of building a business when you don't even own it? I mean, it doesn't even even if it wasn't take for an example, you opened a restaurant but you didn't actually own it. Like you built that business. It just doesn't make sense to me. So it's, it's scary that that's what's actually happening. It does happen, but it's not always that bad because, you know, I want to take a moment and say that, you know, there's a lot of really good companies out there that have really good contracts, even though they don't give the agent ownership. I just want agents to be aware of what they're getting into because you know, take for instance, franchises. In most franchise models, they don't give book ownership to the agent. They give an equitable stake to the agent and you're operating underneath another franchise brand. And so I, I worry for captive agents that want to go independent and they think that they're going independent because they get access to independent carriers, but they're getting into a franchise model where they answer the phone underneath somebody else's brand. They punch the time clock when that 
company says you need to be punching the time clock. They put those hours of operation on their door according to what the the uh, procedures are that were drafted by that corporation that they belong to. So to me, that's not really independence. You're just getting access to independent markets. So if you're really looking to go independent, if you're really looking to build an independent agency and you're looking for a solution where if you don't necessarily like the relationship that you're in, when you get going, you you should be able to have the freedom to move about, to come and go. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, you know, all contracts are, are made equally uh, by any means. And so when you, when you want to uh, join an alliance or an aggregator, if it were me, a hot topic of the conversation would be around, how do we get divorced? Because I want to talk about the divorce long before I talk about getting married. Because if you're not comfortable with how we would eventually get divorced, if that day would ever come, then you're always going to have an axe to grind or a chip on your shoulder about the agreement. And we don't want to partner with folks that don't necessarily see the language in our agreement as fair. Um, now, that doesn't always apply to all these other companies. So that's why book ownership and control is so important. Equitable interest, in our opinion, boils down to zero ownership, only equitable interest. Yep. I hope all that makes that sense. makes total sense. Yeah. So in a sense, I mean, then what would what what should the true role of an aggregator be? I assume it's just really providing tools to build the business. But uh, maybe you can expand on that a little bit so people can truly own their book. What really should yeah. those roles be? Well, again, it kind of depends on the model. Um I guess, and we're always going to be a little bit biased here, you know, or I am because I work for Pacific Crest. Um, we think that our model fits the need of um, agents that are looking to be really, truly independent. Um, you know, I don't want to get in and manage your business. And so our model, if you're looking to be truly independent, I think you should be looking for an aggregator that wants to support you, um, but works for you, right? So you own the book, you're the customer, um, we are supporting your needs as an agent, depending upon what your needs are, whether that be support for technology or whether that be support to help you grow and recruit to your agency, um, bring more markets to your agency, um, help by uh, developing marketing strategies for your agency, by, you know, giving you access to our marketing staff to uh, brainstorm or whether or not it's you're wanting to become a commercial line specialist. Um, we have all the depth of that organization, of our organization to help educate agents and um, bring them into the folds of our, of our organization where they fit best. It's not up to us to just dictate their path, but um, we have enough depth of our organization now where we can pretty much support an agent's needs um, from, from about the teenage years on where our weakness is, is, we can't support an agent when they're just getting into the business. I just don't have the staff, the time, or the energy really to train an agent on how to write a policy. That's why we're a better fit for folks that are in, kind of in their teenage years where they've proven themselves um, in 
the PNC business where they've graduated from grade school into, you know, middle school at least, where we know that we can be confident that we are partnered with agents that understand how to architect policy properly, how to, you know, write proper coverages for their clients, and how to be a true trusted advisor. Um, we can certainly help agents understand how to run a more profitable business, shed some light on the trends in the industry and things of that nature. So I guess to maybe answer your question and summarize it, an aggregator should be there to complement your agency. It shouldn't be there to tell you how to run it and preach to you every day on what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. It should be there to support your needs. Um, obviously, the aggregator has to work within the confines and the regulations of the carriers and what they what they require. So there are some things that need to be adhered to, um, but that's out of the control of the aggregator. You would hope that that just comes down as a pass along from the carrier to the agent, and the and the aggregator is really acting as the middle person, just carrying that message. That makes total sense. <laughs> I don't want to be anybody's manager. I'll just put it to you that way. I mean, just kind of expand <laughs> on that piece of conversation. Um, the only time we put on our management hat or anytime I do is whenever an agent's not doing what they should be doing um, as far as, you know, breaking the rules. We have three really simple rules. Don't lie, don't steal, and don't cheat. Um, you know, those are pretty simple rules you would think to adhere to, but unfortunately not everybody uh, follows that, that same set of rules. And so when agents are up to no good and, and they're being um, shady, so to speak, and, and they're breaking the rules, well, there's a no tolerance policy here. If we get down to the bottom of it after we investigate and we find out that that's true, that that's exactly what was happening, well, then we just terminate our relationship and go our separate ways. Um, so that would be a, a, a picture of me with my management hat on outside of that. Um, we're just here to support. If you need us to help train you or help give you guidance and support on your business model, we're eager to jump in all hands on deck and support that need. That's awesome. That opens my eyes big time to book ownership and, you know, the types. I don't know if I have anything more specific around that. I mean, you've made it pretty clear. Is there anywhere that uh, agents that may be listening to this that, you know, are in that process of looking uh, can get more, find more resources, contact you guys, uh, yourself, Marcus, maybe to learn more about that? Yeah, I mean, I always encourage everybody to jump on all the chat forums and, and uh, you know, Facebook groups or whatever, and and do your due diligence. Dig in. Ask, ask questions of other agents, people that have lived through these circumstances, um, to give you a little bit of guidance. Uh, but like I said before, you know, it's kind of a matter of semantics. You, uh, people tend to throw around language in this industry, and it doesn't always necessarily add up to what you think it adds up to. Um, so be careful of that. My advice to anybody is, is before you choose to join an aggregator of any kind, um, con you know, get consultation from an attorney, from some type of a legal source to give you advice on the agreement so that they can explain the legal jargon to you um, of what it all means. And then don't just do it at the last second. If you're going to join an alliance or if you're going to go independent and you are a captive agent specifically, 
Um, take your time. Don't do it as a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, get in, get into a conversation with an aggregator or two, and start that dialogue, and let that relationship start to unfold. Because you'd be surprised what you'll see over time when you're talking to somebody over a few months and you're developing that relationship. Maybe it'll give you a little bit better insight as to who they're going to be um, after you become an agent with them. You know, a year or two down the road, they're 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 uh, you know <laughs> the way that they interact with you can be completely different. But if you jump in and you make a decision in under 30 days, they could give you their best impression right up front, but then it could really turn sour quickly after you come on board. Um, so take your time, develop that relationship, let it start to unfold and um, kind of show you a glimpse of who they are as a corporation talk to a few of their other people that um, either work for the corporation, let them show you the depth of their organization, who they've got on staff to help you with all the things that I was kind of discussing before with things like marketing and development and, you know, data management and things like that. Um, talk to those other people within the organization. Don't just talk to one person. It's sometimes just talking to what we would classify as a recruiter in this business, um, you're going to get a salesperson, right? And, and sometimes it comes across that those people will tell you everything you want to hear. The grass is so always greener. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so uh, develop the relationship. That's that's the path that I usually take, which is um, I offer conversation with other folks within our organization to come in and join our conference calls to discuss uh, you know certain topics that they're stronger at than I am, specifically like appointments with certain carriers. I'll bring in Kaylin Miller or Priscilla Morales. Um, I might bring in Michael Guho to talk about data management. I might bring in Mike Willis to talk about our commercial lines um, college that we educate agents on. Um, I might bring in Tracy to talk a little bit about what the training process would be for personal lines and our systems um, that we develop here. Uh, all of that stuff, I might bring those people into those conversations. If an agent asks to have those people get involved, I'm eager to bring them in. Uh, because I, I really believe that our people, hands down, are the best people in the industry. And I think that they'd be impressed after they have a conversation with them. Absolutely. And if you're talking to directly to the people you're going to work with, I think that's a little easier than, you know, sometimes maybe just a one point of contact where, like you said, it could be a sales pitch, you know, and you don't yeah. really know who you're actually going to be dealing with after the fact. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, I mean, I, I start our relationship off during a uh, consultation for about an hour. And if it goes past that, then we go into, you know, two or three or four different conversations that usually take anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour uh, each. But uh, even if you uh, look at an agent that comes on board past their 90 to 120 day mark, uh, they don't really get to talk to me much anymore because I'm more on the development side where I'm talking to agents about the opportunity. I'm still involved in their onboarding process and my team makes me aware of what's going on and talks to me about any 
hurdles or opposition that pops up. So I am engaged. They just don't hear from me much. But whenever I go back and I do talk to agents um, and I ask them who they have been involved with in conversation or building a relationship here at the corporate office, it almost always includes either Kaylin Miller, Priscilla Morales, or our accounting department, because just by default, those are, that's usually what's the most important on people's minds. You know, how am I going to get paid? And, uh, you know, how am I going to get my carrier appointments? Um, after an agent's been here for a year or two, then they start to get engaged a little bit more with the rest of our staff, like Mike Guhal on how to get all the data for their agency to help them build and expand on what opportunities lie within their own book. Um, I start to, you know, build more relationship on the development side, helping them expand their footprint. And we might even bring in our marketing director, Kobe, um, to start talking to them about how to grow their agency and open up other opportunities for marketing that they're not already tapped into. So they start to expand after about a year or two into other depths of our of our organization and build relationships with more people. But in the beginning, it's usually wrapped around the appointments team and accounting department. Yeah, that makes total sense. Total sense. But you're right. Just to kind of point out that, yes, absolutely, you're right. You should talk to people that you're eventually going to end up having a relationship with. And I would, I mean, I would, if it was me, I would be asking for contact or contacts for agents that are currently with them. I mean, especially ones that have been with them for a few years and get a pulse of, you know, what does that look like? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that I've had some agents in the past that have said, um, well, give me the name of a few people that have left your organization. Well, okay. I'm, I'm happy to do that. I guess, you know, you're welcome to give them a call. I don't necessarily think that when you get off the phone with them, that you're really going to find any, um, that you're, that you're any closer to making a decision because, in the back of your mind, if you're talking to somebody that's left the organization, you're always going to wonder if they're giving you a biased, one-sided story, right? Um, if it didn't go well, you're, you're never really going to trust that they're just giving you the truth. You're never going to know whether or not um, it was their fault or ours or whatever. What I will admit is that we're not a perfect organization. And so if a company that you're talking to is preaching to you as though they are, that would make me a little leery. You know, um, not everybody has, you can't be everything to all people. No. And so we're not perfect by any means. We do make mistakes. What I find is more, um, more useful is to talk to people that are within the four walls already that are within the folds of the organization that have been there for a while. And then maybe get somebody that's been there a short period of time, get a little sample of somebody that's been there for, you know, eight or nine years, maybe 10 years, and then get a sample from somebody that's been there for maybe eight or nine months because things are a lot different now than they were eight or nine years ago. So how, how does that eight or nine year tenured agent get treated and how do they feel and how does the new agent feel about how they were treated underneath the new systems and the new way of bringing on agents and the, the new requirements and standards of carriers. You know, that, that to me says a lot because if, if you talk to somebody who's been on there for on board for 30 or 60 days, again, you're going to think, well, they haven't been there long enough to get a sample. Of course, they're probably happy because the company you would think would be doing everything they can to make their onboarding experience really good. Absolutely. But somebody's been here for about a year, you know, 
they probably have a pretty good piece of information for you that that you could um, depend on. Well, that's the thing. And, uh, I mean, a lot of, you know, you guys obviously help you and other aggregators similar, obviously help get them off the ground and get started. But there's a lot of magic that happens once that stabilizes out and they've got their feet under them. They've been in it for a year or so and they start utilizing some of the other resources. So I think it'd be good to just say, like, I mean, those would be big pluses for me why I'd go there. But I'd want to know, hey, are they going to be there in a year or two when I'm ready for them? What does that even look like? So. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I would go back to book ownership. I have found that if a relationship isn't going to work itself out, it's probably going to end sooner than later. So, for instance, I would just go back to what I always call the six-month rule. If you're not happy with our organization, you're probably going to make that decision in under six months. And here's the reason why. I think it's just normal you're not making any money. It's not working out. You're obviously not making any money. So if it's not financially working out, then you're leaving. Why would you stick around any longer if, if it's not financially working out? Um, you know, who knows what that reason might've been. Maybe it's because you were in an area that was really tough to get carrier appointments, or maybe your business model just didn't match ours very well. Who knows what the reason could be. But my point to that is, is that when that day comes, you should own your book. (laughs) And if you don't, um, what little business you probably did right, you'd want to be able to have the option to take it with you. Yeah. Because you did build something. And if you've been with the company for, say, two or three years, and now you've got a several million dollar book of business, and all of a sudden the carriers start start to talk to you in a different manner, and they're saying, hey, you know, we'll give you a retail appointment. You don't need the help of an aggregator anymore. If that was the reason you went to the aggregator, well, then you want to have that option. You should be able to exercise that option and leave at any time with those policies. But if you, that is why you, you joined the organization was to get access to the markets and build your book big enough to where you could leave one day, and you join an organization where you just have equitable interest and you have now built a very profitable book of business and you want to walk away and that company has a first right of refusal in their agreement and they decide that they're not going to let you walk out the door with those policies. Instead, they're going to buy them from you. Well, what are your options? Yeah. Now, now you get to start another independent agency from scratch with a little bit of money in your pocket. And that's about it. That is about it. So how, how different are you than a farmer's insurance agent or an Allstate agent? You're not. You're, You're not. exactly in the same boat. No, that's a, that's a... Unless that company was gracious enough to let you walk out the door and buy those policies. Yep, that's got that, That's my point. And I think that's probably pretty rare. Well, yeah, I mean, it happens every now and again. Um, but it usually happens with books that aren't really that profitable because the alliance is eager to get that poison out of the book because it's hurting their possibilities of hitting bonus. And so they're kind of eager to let you walk out the door. And in that case, I would say if you have that type of book that doesn't have that good of um, you know, profitability, then the problem takes care of itself again because the carriers are going to deny your appointment for retail appointment because 
they're going to take one look at your book that you walked out of the alliance with. They're going to audit it and deny your appointment because you're not the type of agent that they want, at least not the preferred carriers. Yeah. Not, and yeah. you would know. I mean, yeah. Justin, you, you worked for Travelers for how long? I worked for Travelers for two years. Yeah, for two years as as a regional rep, right? Yep. I've seen it, yep. Yeah, would you want to take on an agent that has an unprofitable book of business? No, absolutely not. I mean, I think that's why no. there's a lot of there's a lot of carriers. For one, even if they could walk away with that, it'd be very hard for them to actually get an appointment with carriers with that history. So yep. they're in a tough spot. Yeah. yeah, and so just kind of shedding some light on all of it, not to ramble on too much because we're coming up on, oh gosh, over a half an hour here, but um, – I think just to kind of summarize it all, a lot of folks will call us to start dialogue about building their own independent agency, and I find myself educating people more than just telling them about our opportunity because I really want them to know what goes on out there. It's super important that they understand it so they can make a good judgment call. And, uh, you know, there's a lot at risk there. We're talking about people's livelihoods. If you're a captive agent, um, like, for instance, I'm, I'm working with a, a captive agent right now that's wanting to make the transition. And, you know, deep down inside, I just want what's best for his family. So I want him to know what his options are so that he can make a sound decision when he walks out the door because he's walking away from a six figure salary and he's not getting a penny when he walks out the door because he's coming from state farm. So that agent is going to have to start from scratch from day day one. And I don't want that agent to come on board six months later and regret his decision. I want him to know what he's in for as far as workload. I want him to know what he's in for on a contract and I want him to know what his options are if he chooses to throw in the towel. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that is a tough place. And I think uh, you probably deal with that more than anything. Um, a lot of people are coming from that exact position. So it's yep. totally doable, but it's good that you're keeping people's eyes open, and, you know, know what they need to do. Yeah, and I would I would encourage anybody listening to this podcast, if you want to have an open dialogue on learn a little bit about this side of the business and understand a little bit more what your options are, we are happy to discuss, um, you know, anything really. Uh, we're an open book. Uh, I will certainly give you my side of what we believe and, and how we see um, the, you know, the industry and how it's changing um, some of the things and contracts to look out for and whatnot. We're just happy to be engaged in conversation and hope that it goes somewhere with good, talented agents. I love it. Yep. Marcus, have we missed anything, anything else you want to add on that? Well, I don't think so. Um, you know, we tried to do these podcasts and just kind of focus on one topic at a time. And that's tough to do. That usually bleeds into a few other things because there's so much to talk about. But, um, yeah, for the sake of everybody's time, let's just keep it at this. And then we'll open up some more dialogue around other topics later. How's that? That sounds good to me. Well, thank you, Marcus. Appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one.